This is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors. Take a walk and make a podcast. This is Yolando. And as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So friend, what is astonishing you? Well, like most Americans this past week and many people around the world, I took time to watch the inauguration of Biden and Harris and enjoyed um, watching that. But what stood out for me and for many people, was the poet um, Amanda Gorman. Um, I just thought she was amazing, but her poem was amazing. I thought um, her voice, her style, her presentation, her words, all amazing. But uh, that's not what's astonishing me. I, I thought that was great. I began to think after listening to her, Boy, if I had a way with words like that as a preacher, <laughs> if I could um, put words together like that, if I if my preaching somehow was like that, then I would be a great preacher. I would be so much more effective. And I just kind of went down into this hole. Like <laughs> um, I think I've shared with you before that when I first told people that I felt a call to preach. Uh, they laughed. Uh, I had a number of people laugh and say, you don't even really talk to people. I mean, we, we just can't imagine you as a preacher. And um, I often listen to this podcast uh, after we have posted it. And sometimes it's so painful because I'll be in mid thought and I'll just pause uh, just trying to find the right word uh, to say. And those pauses to me are just so painful because I, I feel myself struggling and reaching for words. I just, I know myself to be, I experience myself to be a person who is just not that great with words. And um, I was listening to or watching. Okay, Paul. Uh, well, okay, we're getting there. I was watching a, um, an interview with uh, uh, President Obama, and uh, you know he's got this new mm -hmm. book out, and um, uh, he said Michelle, when she listens to the audio version of his book, that she puts it on twice the speed, because mm -hmm. he is also a person that does these pregnant pauses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she, mm -hmm. she just really just wants him to get on with it, and so that started to make me feel better, but not really. And so I just went down to this hole of man, if I could just you know, because there have been so many. Um, golden tongued preachers that God has used over the centuries and uh, just feeling like, man, if I could just get a little better with words. And then um, that place um, in, uh, I think it's first Corinthians where um, you know, Paul says something like, you know, my message to you did not come with great wisdom or great words, but with mm -hmm. uh, the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith might rest not on us, but on the power of God. I thought, oh, yeah. Um, you know, God uses people like me as well, who just really wrestle with words. And uh, I'm once again astonished uh, to be called into this work, feeling um, inadequate in so many ways. And yet at the same time, yeah, God has called me to do this. And 
uh, what <laughs> one of the things that God brought to mind as I was in the midst of my little pity party, it's a number of people who said, you know what, this thing that you said, this sermon, this teaching really moved, really touched, really helped me um, in my life. And um, so, yeah, I'm just astonished how God uses, you know, broken, weak vessels um, like us to do this, this incredible work. Well, it's so interesting. It's just so interesting how differently people experience themselves than other people experience them. Because for me, um, and I think like the Obama um, comparison is a really good one. When, when I'm talking with someone and they are reaching for words, the way I experience that is that this is a person who is a very serious and intentional communicator, right? So that when you are reaching for a word, what I experience that as this is someone who has a precise point that he is making and is deliberatively doing the work mm. of, you know, so to me, that is a sign of being an excellent communicator. Um, I mean, because it's not like you reach for a word and don't get it, right? So that, like, just the care and intentionality, whereas, like, we joke all the time that, like, somebody asks me a question and I open my mouth and I'm, like, listening to my own, like, oh, is that what I think? So I just really, like, honor how, because that was really what struck me, I think, probably every preacher who heard Amanda Gorman in that moment was like both, I mean, like inspired and, and discouraged simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. Like, because for me, I just like, what was so beautiful about that moment and what I really strive for, but often don't achieve in the, in the preaching moment is just the clarity of purpose and yes. people were astonished that she had written it two weeks ago but for me I was like oh of course like the the raid or the whatever the riot the storming the insurrection of the capital happened and she as an artist said okay something something must be said in response to that moment and what is the one thing that must be said and then she you know she, she said it like she drilled down because honestly, in the aftermath of that Wednesday, I mean, everybody was talking about it. So there's just a million voices and a million mm -hmm. interesting thoughts and a million relevant points. But I think for generations, when the story of that, um, that insurrection is told, also her poem will lay in contrast as like, mm. this is the response. Like if that is one um, manifestation of what it means to be an American, here is the counter, the counter view, right? And and it so beautifully allows people to say, I mean, I think this is a theme always, but especially lately, like, which story do I want to be a part of? Like, which narrative is compelling to me? Mm -hmm. And so, and to me, like, I think the preaching moment is always about that, that like, obviously, in any text, there's just an overwhelming, like just so many true life-changing, glorious, edifying, wonderful things that could be said about any, any two words, any one word in scripture, right? And so as a preacher, being able to say, looking at all the multiplicity of real true things that could be said 
and looking at all of the things that are happening in like this place and time, like finding the one golden thread yeah, of all the things good. that you could say mm -hmm. and saying the thing that is exactly like Kairos right for that moment. Like that's what I experienced in her poem was it was more than beautiful. It was more than true. It was the prophetic healing word for that mm -hmm. moment. And so I, like for me too, I was just like, oh gosh, like <laughs> I think um, it just made me, you know, it made me want to wrestle more with words. It made me want to leave more space to say, I could say that, but is that the thing that must be said? I think there are just these moments in your life where you're like this, where you really know like, oh, something must be said and, and, and it will be, it will be life-changing to say the right word in this moment. But the truth is every moment is like that. And as a preacher to walk into the pulpit every time knowing there are lots of words and many of them are true and God can work with probably all of them, but there is a word that will shift reality. And can you do the deeper digging of finding that word? Yes, that's good. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really on point that the whole idea of deeper digging and, and I noticed that in your preaching that often you will just narrow this is, um, this is the point of the sermon, I might have three, four, five, six points, you will have the point, this is what's being said. Yeah, and I just like, it's so hard. And I've said this, like, I mean, I hear people say this in art in general, that, you know, the sign of, I mean, probably the sign of a great artist is a good editor, right? Like that it's not hard to cut out things that are dumb or boring or untrue. That's easy. Like anyone can do that. But when, but to cut out the things that are good, but just not, you know, like not rel like that's what's hard. Yeah. And, and in the preaching moment, especially when you just have the great privilege of like spending a day studying. And so like, there are just so many cool, you know, deep revelatory things that you see and the temptation is just like i want to say all of them <laughs> it's to be like but that's really if you try to say all of them you end up saying none of them mm -hmm. and so like what i saw in that moment and just like the the just the opportunity for her um in the embodied life that she has to ha have the mic at that moment was just extraordinary. And I just, I mean, she met it. And that's what I think too. I mean, when back to your initial point of like, I mean, there are just a lot of people who are like skilled at preaching and it's interesting to listen to them and you can appreciate like the, the form of what they're doing and this, but they're not saying anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what matters, I mean, and it's funny to hear Paul describe himself as like a bad communicator and people speculate that maybe he was better on paper than he was in person and who knows. But I mean, like, I think we get so, I, well, whatever, I'll speak for myself. Like my ego is huge. I think as most, I mean, we joke, like that's the occupational hazard of pastors. Like anyone who's like, sign me up to speak for God every yeah. week. Like, you know, <laughs> there's a, um, a problem. 
And I think I just get so caught up in wanting to be a good preacher, but the reality is nobody needs me to be a good preacher. What we need is Jesus. Like what mm. we need is the revelation. And so, um, and, and if, you know, obviously there are lots of people that are good, effective preachers, but they're not preaching the gospel. And so, you know, and we, and we wow. see that all over the place. Um, so anyway, I, I think reaching for words, um, if we're taking what we're doing seriously, we ought to be reaching for words and not just opening up our mouth and seeing what comes out. So I admire, <laughs> I admire you. So what is astonishing you? Well, we, <laughs> we were saying before we got started this morning, um, we're recording a little bit later today and I, um, was really happy to join um, a, a session um, training event for another church <clears throat> who is, they are getting ready to start the transformation project. <coughs> Sorry. A cup of, a sip of cold coffee will fix that. Um, and so they asked me to come in and speak with them about the our experience on the transformation pilot project and the change that happened at Hickory Grove to become the Grove. And um, so, you know, that's been 10 years now since we started in that 10, you know, so it just takes me way, way back. And I was saying, um, I mean, I guess the connect, you know, I walked into that experience of if people are, maybe listening and don't know us personally, like we both were called to churches that were, we met because we were both serving churches that were really stuck and okay. had, and, and both congregations really knew they needed to change and grow. And everybody knew, pastors and people, we all knew that we didn't know what to do. And so we got an opportunity to be part of a process that was mediated by the Presbytery um, that was called the Transformation Pilot Project that we would learn and work with some folks who could give us real um, different understandings of why we were stuck and how we needed to change. And, um, you know, walking into that experience, knowing that I, that the church needed to grow and that as the pastor, I needed to lead them into growth and knowing that I didn't know how to do that. Um, but also walking into that experience with a worldview, right? And like with an understanding that I was a pastor who, who knew how to be a pastor and, and that what I knew had value and, um, and then meeting um, the consultants that had been hired to work with us and, and their worldview was just so different mm. than mine in every way. And um, how profoundly disorienting it was um like I was retelling the story this morning in that group that the first thing they said to the 10 of us pastors was your your churches aren't growing because you're not making disciples for Jesus Christ uh, so you've not been faithful to the great commission and you need to start by repenting of that and I was like yep you too can go <laughs> like I mean I was so mad, like just so mad. And I just started off at like anger level 15,000. And then they started teaching us stuff. And so I was just remarking this morning, like, 
now, like all these years later, like knowing you so much, and then you and I, like we lived at that time, you lived in Huntersville and I lived in Huntersville and right down the street, right down the street. And so we, we met because at at one of those things, I was like, Hey, would you ever like to take a run? I wanted a, a running partner. And so you said, yes, which is miraculous. And, and we started running together and, um, and like, looking back now, I'm like, I, I was angry, like all the time for like eight months. Like I just was so mad because I just disagreed with every single thing they said. And I was so, like, I was so angry. Um, and I cannot believe I am astonished knowing you the way I know you now, like I am astonished that you agreed to spend any time with me. Like I'm astonished <laughs> that you showed up and took runs with me. And like, and we were saying before the podcast started, like, you know, now I know that like you were not offended by anything these dudes were saying and you agreed with all of it. And I just again, like, I mean, to my great shame, like it never occurred to me, you didn't agree with me. And it never occurred to me that you were anything but other in the same place. Like it never occurred. And like, now I'm just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that you were my friend. And I'm so (laughs) grateful. (laughs) um, I don't know. Well, I knew that you were not angry with me. You were just wrestling, right? You were just wrestling with this, this, this uh, worldview, right? And I, I got that just somehow I just knew okay, this is a person wrestling. And here, the, the great thing about you is that when you when you wrestle, I mean, you are sincerely open to where you're wrong and where you're right. And if, you're, if you see yourself to be um, in a place where you need to change, you will say, okay, this, I gotta do something different here. And uh, yeah, I was not offended at all by your anger, even when I didn't agree. I was like, I just, I was fascinated by your, your willingness to wrestle. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess just like thinking about that this morning, like, Hey, I'm just so grateful, <laughs> legitimately so grateful. And, and B, I think, um, you know, right now, Let me just add this as well. Plus, okay, just selfishly, some, not sometimes, most of the time when you're angry, you are really, really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I will say slightly in my defense, it was very difficult to learn, um, especially from the head um, consultant, because he did not believe that women were called to ministry. So he, I mean, like he didn't, like talk about that a whole lot, but like we all knew it. And so it's just very difficult emotionally to mm-hmm. ha- like agree with someone who, you know, you knew that they just, you know, discounted or didn't, didn't value the whole, you know, the thing. Didn't anyway, think so you that, should be in the room. Correct. Correct. And so it's just really hard. Yeah. And I, anyway, um, so part of that was just, I was mad about that I, anyway, but, um, I, yeah, I think what is helpful for me in remembering this is, um, I just think right now, I mean, to your, the earlier conversation about, you know, Amanda Gorman and like, you know, these moments that we are having right now, like I, I am very clear that my call is to 
the kingdom of God and to the church. But right now, you know, I do that in the context of America. So I'm not trying to save America, but I, I'm watching what's happening all around us and thinking about like, what does it mean um, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and watch this culture war, you know, kick up even higher and really explicitly get articulated within the body of Christ, right? And I think like, remembering back to my own experience, like, I mean, there really are two diametrically opposed worldviews, um, you know, understandings of reality, and they cannot be integrated. They can't. And so, I mean, I think what is helpful about remembering that is, you know, being able, like you as a, I mean, being willing to come alongside me and be my friend and like just trust that wrestling was happening and that, you know, you, you could just be there and not um, feel like that was a betrayal of your views or, and mm -hmm. you know, like that. And I wonder like, what, what does that look like mm -hmm. as the church to see our brothers and sisters really um, blinded by some really powerful lies, but not to demonize them or give up on them or believe that they're beyond, you know, to say like that maybe even some of the loudest, angriest people are the people who are most deeply wrestling with like, oh crap, if this is true, some core parts of who I am and how I see the world are going to change. And that is scary. And, and I think, you know, the temptation that I, I really struggle with, how do you keep showing up for people without, um, without endorsing, you know, ideas and values that are destructive, right? Like how, like, what does that look like? And it just like, that's not what I intended to talk about today, but like that, that's what was happening to me, you know, in, in those months was just, I mean, I was so angry because everything was at stake. And, um, mm. wow. That reminds me of, um, a piece, uh, interview. I think it was an interview. No yet. Yeah, well, yeah, it was a portion of an interview, um, on, I believe Fox news with a, uh, Senator from Kentucky and he was Rand Paul. Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I and know my senators. Yes, he was saying that um, he was disappointed and di deeply disagreed with Biden's inaugural address because he used the term white supremacy. I think a couple of times, mm -hmm. and he was he was angry because he said. What Biden is doing is calling him and other white people white supremacists, calling them racist. And my immediate thought when I heard that was, here's a person who is wrestling. He, I don't know if he sees it, but he's wrestling with a sense of guilt. He's wrestling with, oh, if if he's saying this and 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 my understanding of the inaugural address was is, was was that Biden was talking about white supremacy in the country. He wasn't pointing fingers at all. Right. 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 And so if this person heard that, 
and took that in and said, okay, if what the new president is saying is true, then I am guilty. And his response was, I, I cannot be guilty of that. Right. So his response was to become angry and reject it. Mm-hmm. And my, my immediate thought was, well, okay, this guy is wrestling with a sense of possible guilt and he needs to hear language about repentance and forgiveness. That mm-hmm. if this is true of him, that doesn't mean that he is forever branded by this. That mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that there's no way out. And I'm like, well, who who is going to give him that message? Who is going to help? Who is going to walk with him um, through this this kind of wrestling that he's doing? Now, on the surface, it looks like he's just presenting an argument against the new president and what he said. But if you look below the surface, I just think he's wrestling with guilt. Yeah, and and I think that's, I've been thinking for a while that somebody, not me, but somebody needs to write a book. Some white person needs to write a book about what it means to like a positive um, life-giving understanding of what it means to be a white Christian. Like what, because I think that's what's hard is people feel like when you talk about white supremacy, they feel like what's being rejected is whiteness, but what's being rejected is supremacy, right? So it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, so like Mm -hmm. you don't have to say not all white people. I mean, it's, what is being rejected. And it was interesting because the other thing, like I read that Rand Paul interview too, or an article about it. And he, he was saying that Biden was calling the opposition white supremacists. He Mm -hmm. was calling all Republicans white supremacists. And I'm like, that's really interesting that you made that leap because I'm like you, I heard him calling like organizations like the proud boys, white supremacy. Like, so, so if someone feel it's interesting that someone would say like, Oh, you're attacking the Republican party. And like the snide part of me was like, uh, <laughs> what's that yeah. saying about a hit dog? But I mean, to be able to say like, no, you not, you, you can differentiate between a government philosophy and a culture that can exist within parts of it and say this governing philosophy doesn't need to be rejected because in and of itself, it's neutral. It's a culture that has infected it um, that that needs to be challenged. Um, yes, because here's the irony for me is that evangelical Christianity, white evangelical Christianity has some tools to work through this theologically correct. because their basic understanding of the gospel and how one becomes Christian is that you begin with acknowledging your sin before God. <laughs> you yeah, confess is- that sin and that it is forgiven. Yeah. And then you go through this process by the Holy Spirit of increasingly becoming a better human being. And this is where like, it's so sad. The division within the body of Christ is so sad because I think that for mainline Christians are, are, you know, the, the greatest part of unhealth of our culture is that it's so inwardly focused. Like we're so ready to show up every week and think about our sin and how God is changing us. And we're so ready to focus spiritual growth on those who are in the building. And then 
you know, and, and there's so little interest in who's not here and how can we welcome the men and doing evangelism. But in the evangelical church, like the sickness is, there's so much focus on who's not here and getting them in and such little focus on mm -hmm. the ongoing work of sanctification. And so, you know, the whole um, culture, as I see it as an outsider with bias, is like, yeah, you were a sinner first, but then you prayed this prayer and now you're not a sinner anymore. So, so for someone to bring this idea that there's like a, there's a community wide kind of sickness and brokenness that needs to be repented of, it, it really runs counter to the worldview of that whole culture, which is we don't have a culture we need to repent of. People out there have a culture that they need to repent of and get inside our culture. And so to label what is broken inside the culture of the church, people can really experience that as like blasphemy because we are Jesus. Like we're the body of Christ. Literally, we're trying to get everybody in here and be saved. So what's in here has to be, mm -hmm. you know, healthy, which is why, you know, there can just be so much um, pressure to hide what is sick inside the evangelical church because people feel like oh if we tell the truth about our brokenness inside this community then how can we save people and invite them in like people's eternal souls are at stake so it's just so sad because you think like if the body of christ weren't so divided and if in the same local community you could have christians whose natural instinct is to look inward sharing worship space with Christians who I almost said pews, but I took it out. <laughs> pews or seats or where, however you're sitting, standing, whatever. <laughs> but if you had, if you had the, you know, people whose natural instinct was to look inward and sharing worship space with people whose natural instinct was to look outward, what you would find is a healthy, wholeness, thriving body of Christ where we would, you know, really fill in one another's weaknesses and, and be whole together. So Anyway, wow. That's where, where are we in this on this day? What are you thinking sure. about? Well, um, it kind of falls in line with what we're already talking about. Um, you know, as followers of Jesus, there is, of course, the assumption that when we begin to follow Jesus, we have all sorts of issues and things in our lives and things about us that need to change, and that over time, um, by the working of the Holy Spirit will change and grow and become better. And that is the, the work of Christian discipleship. We are being trained, we're being formed. And I feel that, I, I sense that um, in, in this season in, in a way that really makes me uncomfortable. Um, I, I do think that uh, because of, of COVID and um, our national politics, that the church um, is wrestling and that Christians on an individual level are, are wrestling. I, I certainly am. And the thing that I'm wrestling with and I'm thinking about um, is really my, my own weakness. I feel so weak in this season. Um, you know, I, I homeschool our first grader during the day, and I try to do ministry in the evening. But by the time, you know, I finish homeschooling, I'm tired. Um, yeah. I'm tired a lot of times, and I have 
all of these ideas in my head about things I want to do. Sometimes I say I should be doing and I'm too tired or I run out of time. Um, you know, that scripture comes to mind, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I feel uh, so weak in, in these uh, days, uh, you know, especially in two ways. Number one, as, as, a, as a leader, I feel weak. I, I, I constantly think and feel that I should be doing more. Um, and I have more in my heart and mind to do. Like there, there are things that I want to do. Um, it, it, I'm wrestling with uh, weakness as um, uh, as a man. There's there's something about the the the, the patriarchy that that's in me that's um, that's that's being touched in these days, um, especially when, like a lot of people, I'm 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 home all the time, and so we've had to renegotiate our domestic life like i i'm not a cook but i cook more i'm child care more and and so i'm just wrestling with that and what it's going to look like on the other side hasn't emerged yet i i, I don't even know but i'm just feeling and I'm, I'm trying to think through this incredible pressure that i feel to do and produce and to make. And at the same time, I am, I'm, I'm just too weak, too tired to do most of it. And I'm just wrestling with that. I'm trying to think through what all of that means and what God is doing. I don't have any answers at this point, but I know it's happening. I not only feel I can I mean, cognitively, I, I know this is happening. I know that I am being shaped in a way that if I'm open to it will ultimately benefit me on the other side of this thing. Um, and in some ways I am, my sail is up. So God, take me where you want to take me. In other ways, I, I'm, I'm resisting um, because it, it's scary. I don't <laughs> listen. My preference, <laughs> the preference of my flesh, is to be the superhero of the Dorita Church congregation yes. and to do all the things that are in my heart and mind. And when this pandemic is over and we gather once again in the sanctuary, there is the applause of the people. Hooray for our pastor! Look at all the things he did during the, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's. I am nowhere near <laughs> accomplishing what's in my head to, to accomplish. And so uh, I'm just wrestling with an overwhelming sense of weakness um, in these days. Well, so here's what I think about that. Um, first of all, respectfully, I think, um, I don't know, like I, I, I question on a superficial level, I question the way you're using that, that verse, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, because I mean, I think on this, on the surface, to me, that text is really about wrestling with sin, like my spirit is willing to forego sin, but my flesh mm -hmm. is weak and tempted. And I think that that 
is not what you're describing. Like, I think a more accurate thing would be able to say, like, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is human. <laughs> like, the flesh is limited, <laughs> right? Like, the flesh can only, like, concentrate and labor for whatever, mm-hmm. 14 to 16 hours a day, and then you're just, you're done. And I think that for, you know, the first three, four, five months of the pandemic, you probably could put in, you know, six hours with Matthew and another six hours with, you know, you can power through, but now that we're approaching, you know, month 11, like you just, you don't, you don't have those reserves anymore. And I, I think, you know, you labeled that the patriarchy, which I mean, yeah. I mean, what's interesting for me about that is we were laughing. I, I was talking to Rachel the other day, um, like just because of the, um, in some ways, simply because of the economic um, resources of the Grove, like we do not have what people want to have or think is ideal, which is like a staff of full-time people who can show up for 40 hours a week, sole focus on leading these ministries. And we don't have that. And I think that, you know, because we live in America, which I would say is like empire culture, right? It's this idea that like, good organizations have that. Um, And if you really want to get something done, you need that. And if you don't have that, it's because you've done something wrong and you need to like work super hard until you can grow big enough to earn that again, you know, right? So like you're just constantly wrestling with that. But, But what we do have at the Grove is like disciples and leaders who are committed to ministry and who are doing ministry really beautifully within the limits of their human lives. And so like when we have um, like a leadership meeting that happens bi-weekly, which is wonderful, but um, you know, there are some people who can't, you know, can't be there because they're working jobs that require them to be somewhere else during the day. And there are a lot of people who can be there, but like they're there with their kids. So we're having leadership meetings and like, you know, kids are being children in the midst of that. And people are like distracted and that life's just the reality of how we have to work. And it is hard, like it's hard to stay focused and not get frustrated and continue like that is difficult. And yet, I mean, like, that's just what, that's the way that we can serve. So you can like wait till some idealized time in the future, or you can say like the time is now and this is what I have to give and I'm gonna give it. And I. And it's interesting, like I was laughing with my friend Rachel the other day, because like, we're often trying to have conversations um, and like, we both have kids and, um, you know, she's talking to me, but also caring for her just turned three-year-old and I'm talking to her and also, you know, it being interrupted or negotiating stuff with um, my four-year-old, my 11-year-old, my 14-year-old. And, um, you know, we just like, we both just get it done. Like if I'm in the middle of thought and all of a sudden she's talking to Milo, like you just wait because that's what and and it's hard and we were just laughing the other day because her husband who who is also in ministry at a different congregation he was um he cares for their son on thursday mornings and like she was laughing that he was saying to her like oh he can't get anything done on thursdays because he's watching milo and i'm just like that's just funny because you know if we waited until we weren't watching our kids we would just never do ministry. Like that's the, you know, so, and I, but I do think this idea that like, oh, you have to have 
designated space and designated time where everyone is focused and paying attention, like, I mean, are those ideal working conditions? Sure. Also, if I look at like the early church, did anybody have that? I don't think so. And like those expectations are really formed by what the culture I lives in tells me is professional, but that and respectable. I don't know. So, I mean, like, would I love to get to a point where like, I, I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, they're not ideal working circumstances, but I also just think, I, I certainly know the Lord has worked that way in the past. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I think what God needs is a professional church organization, as opposed to people who have come alive in Christ and are trying to figure out what God is doing and going and participating in it. And I like one of the stories I really like that came to me as I was listening to you talk, because I have all the, I mean, all the same, like this constant, like, movement between two poles of like, I'm not doing enough, I'm failing the church to I'm pushing the church too hard and I'm burning them out. And we need to just have enough faith to like accept the limits of the season and rest and like what, what is faithful? What is lazy? What is too much? What I don't, I don't know. Um, but I was thinking a lot about, you know, the story of the transfiguration and, you know, Jesus on the mountain with the three disciples and then the glory of the Lord falls upon him. And they see in some versions that Jesus is talking to Elijah and Moses and the disciples are just like sitting there with their mouths hanging open. And then the cloud lifts and Jesus turns to them and the response in that moment. And I'm so Peter, Peter's like, we gotta cool. do something. <laughs> like, let's build, some let's build something and yeah. we will mark it. And the people will come and we will tell them what happened on this mountain. And Jesus is like, you know, what we're going to do is go back down this mountain and carry on with the work that we've been doing. And, and, you know, I feel like as a pastor, like my temptation every time is to build the booth because I, it's just something I can do. Like mm. I and then point to it and be like, I did that. And like, mm. it might not be easy to build a booth, but like, I have some idea of what that looks like and, and following Jesus knowing that that glory is still in him, but is no longer manifested in a way that I can physically see in my surroundings, but like following him and trusting that, like, what I need to do is follow the glory of God and trust that what may not be visible is actually the work of the kingdom, as opposed to doing this visible thing that makes me feel like, okay, I responded. So that's, so that's done. That's and, good. And I just think that's what we're wrestling with all the time in ministry is not building a booth, but following the glory and knowing that is not meaning like we just sit around and like under a lemon tree and wait for it to rain lemonade. Like it's not that we're not doing things. It's just that it's a lot more fumbling around than I, I wish it was. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What are you thinking about? Um, well, I'm thinking about the inauguration a lot and I guess, um, I'm a little troubled and I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm just a little troubled by how much of a big deal it is within the body of Christ. I mean, 
I'm, I mean, in the same way that I am troubled by how folks within the body of Christ saw Trump as a savior and Trump's leadership as like the place where God was at work in the world. And Mm -hmm. all we needed to do was get in line behind that. I'm a little troubled by sensing that same spirit in the ways that Christians are embracing this new administration. Um, And I, you know, I mean, I am, I am not a Christian American, but I am an American Christian. And so I did vote in the election and I did not want Trump to have another term. I do not believe that um, his values are at all in line with the kingdom of God. Um, So it's not that I don't think that a significant shift happened in the government on Wednesday. And it's not that I don't believe um, that 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 is better um, for a lot of vulnerable people, um, because I, I do think that, but I'm troubled, you know, I, I, I was just in some conversations this week and meetings this week and hearing language about like a new day, like hearing biblical phrases <laughs> um, being attributed, like sort of in jest, but being attributed to that moment. And it really, it just really troubles me. And I think it's really difficult to understand how we as followers of Jesus Christ are going to be political, but not partisan. And just, you know, I I don't at all think it's faithful to say, you know, oh, I'm just not political because that is is a position of privilege, um, especially for white people. So, um, but I also just think we need to be really careful when quote our guy gets in to recognize that um you know this is not beyond the realm of how god works but this is not our primary sphere of influence um and and just how we negotiate all of that and i was thinking this week um, so a long time ago i'm a a d-men dropout i was doing d-men work at louisville seminary for a couple years doctor of ministry Correct. Yes, because <laughs> that's such a. Uh, I know it's, it's my kids are like you were doing what? I'm yeah, because like, it's it, unfortunately named. A it sounds yeah, it sounds like and demon. The is demon. <laughs> I was doing demon work, which is, sounds way more exciting than it actually was. But um, but I was doing that for a couple of years before I came to the Grove, and um, the yeah, we're, you know what? We're both D men dropouts. We are. We are. <laughs> we are. Um, so and this. Um, a cohort that I was in, you'd have like a professor from the seminary who was leading um, the seminary you were in, but also um, each cohort got a, like a pastoral resident. And so ours happened to be J. Herbert Nelson, who is currently the state clerk of the denomination. So the best thing about those years was um, just getting to spend a couple weeks with him and, and getting to listen to him talk and think. And I really, it was worth it. Just, um, I really think, uh, very highly of him. But so this was right before, um, or maybe during the election season of Obama's first term. And I, I did definitely think very differently about politics 
at that point than I do now. And, and probably really without knowing it was just kind of the progressive version of the religious right. Like I think unconsciously, I really just felt like, oh, we'll get the right people in political office and then the kingdom will come like through, <laughs> through the structure of American democracy. Like, I mean, I just really was not a critical thinker about that at all. Um, and I was a very big fan of Barack Obama and um, J. Herbert Nelson. And it was right about the time when um, Jeremiah Wright, who was Barack Obama's pastor, um, like was really under fire because he had preached what was a scandalously faithful sermon on the book of Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah, who really is pronouncing God's judgment over Israel. So the damnation of Israel by God. And Jeremiah Wright preached a sermon called God Damn America, meaning like God bring your judgment upon America. And, and because our culture is very Christian, but also very biblically ignorant, like people just, and because the seeds of Christian nationalism was as present then in evangelical church as it is now, but just wasn't as visible, like people just could not understand or even comprehend or even listen, like I couldn't even listen to the sermon. And and the, it's deeply ironic because, I mean, you can agree with it or disagree with it, but you can't say, if you reject that sermon, then you have to reject Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, who were also calling for God's judgment and damnation upon their own nation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, it was a huge, huge scandal. And Obama really had to denounce Jeremiah Wright um, in, in some pretty significant ways. And, and they, you know, there remains a distance, but it's really interesting. So we were talking about all of that with J. Herbert Nelson, like outside of class. And, um, and he was telling, I guess he, I mean, not surprisingly knows Jeremiah, right. And was talking to me about, I was asking him questions about like what that must feel like for Jeremiah, right. To be a pastor and have a member of your congregation who you had nurtured as a political prophetic leader. And then to have that person basically have to distance themselves for you and like what a betrayal that would feel like or whatever. And, and, and Jeremiah or J. Herbert Nelson said something that just like blew my mind. I just could not understand what he was saying. And he was saying, well, when maybe even Obama had been elected, but not installed lately yet or not installed, not, not created. <laughs> um, and, and J. Herbert Nelson said, well, when Barack Obama becomes president, Jeremiah Wright will um, speak prophetically against his government too. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what in the world? Like, I just could not understand. And I was like, are you telling me that Jeremiah Wright is not even going to vote for Barack Obama? And he was like, no, I'm, he will vote for Barack Obama, but the job of the prophet is to oppose the government, period. Like, period whoever is in office it's the job of the prophet to be like the the counterbalance like the voice crying out in the wilderness calling for greater faithfulness greater righteousness like not just maybe saying like okay you're better than the last guy so you're good enough but like whatever whatever party you're a part of like your job is to drag them not farther to the left or farther to the right but closer to righteousness right so we are never satisfied we're never demonizing but we're never satisfied we're always 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 pushing that's our job and at the time I just you know I didn't say anything but I just didn't understand and now I'm like oh I'm like 
stuff? Like, how did I get whatever, like 10 years into ministry and just not have a functional concept of how to be a Christian participating in a democracy until that point. And I mean, I just think it's interesting because, you know, I came up thinking like, oh, the religious right is, you know, the worst thing in the world and they're exploiting the gospel for political gain and all kinds of stuff. And I did not recognize that I was completely prepared to use the very same tools Mm. just to enact a different political agenda that in my opinion was closer to the realm of God. But that's, you know, a obviously a matter of opinion. I mean, and I, I still hold that opinion, but I just understand that like, if those tools are wrong for the religious right, then they're also wrong for the religious left. And the work of people of faith in the public square is the prophetic work of someone like a Dr. King who is saying like, it's not about being a Republican or a Democrat. It's about like, this is a law that is unjust that I am going to um, oppose with my body, with my life. I'm going to pay the price to be the voice in the wilderness saying, you know, in Gorman's poem, like what just is, is not justice. (laughs) Even if we are, we have a self-understanding that we are the city on a hill as the American nation or whatever, it's the job of people of faith to say, hey, we're not even who we say we are, but we certainly are not even trying to be with who yet who God is calling us to be. So I'm thinking about all of that. Wow, that's that's huge. And if if the church in America could get hold of that, man, so much would be different in the country right now. Um, I just feel like we keep, you know, water boils slowly i mean you can see the signs mm-hmm. and i just feel like we keep turning up the heat and um mm-hmm. we keep saying okay we 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 don't want it to boil but we keep doing things that keep turning up the heat and i think the american church just has a hard time putting itself in a place of repentance um vulnerability um, when we get the slightest bit of power, well, uh, here we go again. We want to build a booth. We think it's now our turn to build our vision version of the kingdom by any means necessary. And mm-hmm. if that means we have to violate one or two <laughs> of the principles of Jesus okay, but we're going to get this greater thing done, this thing that we think is more important. Right. And we think as long as in our own eyes, it's better than the last The other person, guys, yeah, the other side. Then it's good enough for us and mm-hmm. it ought to be good enough for God. And it's just mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. good enough for God. I can't remember, gosh, if it was Marcus Garvey or Malcolm X. I can't, I think it was Marcus Garvey who said something like, Republicans are wolves. Democrats are foxes. Yeah. At the end of the day, they both want a meal. And, and, and they were talking about uh, in, in relation to Black people. 
mm-hmm. they they both seek to devour you in some way. And so you've mm-hmm. just got to understand the, the nature of this thing that you're dealing with. It doesn't mean that um, both are equally, equally wrong. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that um, uh, one group that is wrong most of the time can't you, you can't support on in particular areas but you gotta see that neither one is the savior there's got to be something else that's driving you and it's so easy for us in the church to lose sight of following jesus just following mm-hmm. jesus and um seeing ourselves under his authority and i mean if we just take some of the basic things Jesus said, they're easy for a child to remember, like mm-hmm. love your enemies. Gosh, mm-hmm. that that's just radical and revolutionary and just changes the nature of our politics. But it's really, really difficult for us to do. Yeah, and I just think it is so much easier to build an identity, to build in a community based on what you're against. Mm-hmm. than to do the way more difficult work of building an identity and building a community based on what you're for. That's harder. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there have to be things that matter to us more than success. Like there have to be things that we're willing to fail for. And that's what I think is like the real power of obviously the gospel. But I mean, the work of King or Malcolm X is, you know, that they're they're saying like, this is so you know, this is so important that even, even though right, according to the flesh, it won't work and nothing will change. It's still worth, you know, laying my life down. Like I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be successful. Like I'm not tr- doing this because I think it'll work. I'm doing this because it is just um, inescapably faithful. So whatever it costs, here yeah. I come. And, and you can't see a way to, I mean, I think in the moment, like you, in that moment, you can't see a way to be America without Jim Crow. Um, but you're following down the mountain, following the glory of God that you can't see, you know, into this future that, yeah, like if, if anything that we can conceive of is going to be too much like building a booth on the top of a mountain, right? Which is what I think is so interesting about the debate about like, defunding the police like I think part of the resistance is just like well the best we can hope for is a better version of what we've had you know and and I think you know doing the really scary work of saying like no it just this is the history of these institutions this is the present of these institutions this is the only way we know how to do things and yet we need to be walking beyond what we know towards embodying what we believe. Um, and that's going to take walking by faith and not by sight. And like, and I don't expect political leaders to do that work. I expect spiritual leaders to do that work. So anyway. Well, I am. Um, podcast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave this subject. Let's talk about what we're preaching. Well, this leads into what I'm preaching this week. I'm, I'm preaching, uh, and I still need to write the sermon, uh, but uh, the first chapter of Mark, Jesus, it says, begins to preach the good news of the kingdom, and he finds uh, these brothers fishing, and he says, come 
follow me. And they leave their nets, they leave their father in the boat, and they follow Jesus. And um, a couple of things I, I, I feel led to point out is number one, that the kingdom is about God. It's about what God is doing. Because so many people on that day, when you said kingdom, they would have said, oh, let's get swords to throw out the mm -hmm. Romans, right? Or let's go out into the mountains and become holy enough for the kingdom to come. No, this is not what you are to do. This is about what God is doing. God is bringing the kingdom. Number two, uh, it, it seems that this, this is reminding us that um, kingdom life is really about this commitment to the person of Jesus. I mean, these fishermen, and I read one stat that said up to 90% of the people um, lived in poverty. And um, even though fishing didn't make you wealthy, it was very stable. And to leave the family business of fishing was just unheard of. And so for these four disciples to leave, to follow Jesus, uh, to have this commitment to him, is really, it brings us back to Christianity become beyond um, well, we can't <laughs> these days, simply going to church, uh, singing a few songs on Sunday, saying a few prayers, and then going home and then living the way we want to live. But it's really about a commitment to following the person of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to preach that text very soon. So I'm very excited oh. that you're preaching it this week. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> um, well, we are finishing the third part of our mission statement. Um, so our mission statement is um, inviting all to serve and come alive in Christ. So we're doing a come alive in Christ part this week. And um, you actually helped me select a passage from Second Corinthians chapter six. Um, because I get you was, preaching from Paul. Go ahead with your bad yeah, self. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to teach from Paul. Preaching from Paul is <laughs> difficult. Um, yeah, I, I, because we were talking about like, what do I think it really means to come alive in Christ? And I, you know, I did not get there totally this week, but I think when we are fully alive in Christ, we are free to lay down our lives, right? So I just, this deep irony of like being so alive that we're not afraid of death, right? And, mm. um, and that is such a, you know, the, the first major move of the sermon is to say like, what, what is, does it not look like to be alive in Christ? And just to kind of call out what I think is is in the culture through just a very successful branding of Christianity, which means like when you're fully alive in Christ, you're just a winner and you just get everything you want, right? From a parking space all the way to a mega church, like whatever, like people who are really alive in Christ are winners and everyone, they'll have what everyone wants. And, you know, that's just not true, but you can really sell some books preaching around that idea, right? Whereas so, um, but I think, you know, in that passage, first of all, when Paul is quoting from Isaiah and saying, now is the opportune time, now is the day of salvation. And the, the passage from Isaiah is Isaiah announcing that it was time for the people finally to return from exile to the promised land. So the end of exile, a return home. But what, what Paul is really saying is like, no, now is the end of the exile like the end of the exile that began in Eden, right? Like now we return home to God and that, you know, fully becoming fully alive in Christ means that we get God. Like are we, we are 
our reunion with God is complete. Um, and so, you know, ironically, when we th- we're thinking like coming alive in Christ means all my problems go away and I just sort of get whatever I want in the world. The problem isn't that we're thinking too much. It's that we're thinking too little, like what mm-hmm. God is promising us, giving us in Christ is God's own self, like intimately, like restoring whatever, filling the God-shaped hole in the human heart. Like that's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, which then means, you know, that reunion happens not someday later on, but this day here and now. So it happens on this earth at this moment when all creation is groaning and crying out, which means it looks like, you know, what Paul is describing, which is like, you know, um, I'm commending myself to you and all these things in my hardships and my trials and my beatings and my sleepless nights and my hard work. And we're like, what, why do I want to be alive in Christ? If that's what it looks like. But the reality is like, that's what life in a, in a being redeemed creation is like for everybody inside, outside the body of Christ, we suffer right now in this world because sin is so pervasive and we can't get away from it. And what, and what we get when we come alive in Christ is not an easy pass. What we get is the ability to live like Jesus freely and fully in the midst of this web of sin, being able to, you know, live authentically as people who carry God within them and fearlessly even to the point of death. And so, you know, there's the sort of and yetness of of being alive in Christ. So like we're unknown and yet known and we have nothing yet we possess everything and we are sorrowful and yet we're rejoicing like this idea that it's not that we avoid everything that can happen to people like everything can happen and even when it does we have this other reality of even in the midst of the very worst that life can do we have joy we have life we have hope we have abundance so anyway that's what i tried to say now it's in now it's it's out there in cyberspace and there's nothing i can do about it i really cannot wait to return to sunday morning church um, um but anyway so that that's it that's what we're doing okay good. so that silence means it's no it sounds, yeah. sounds good <laughs> I don't know. I really, I really love a narrative text. I really do not like these online texts. They're really hard. But like, welcome to philosophy class today. But um, we'll see. I'm sure it's great. Well, as we full circle get around, it doesn't have to be great because God is great. That's and, true. Yes. You know, God loves. I think God loves a swing and a miss, right? Yes. <laughs> so. so all good anyway thanks for listening to us we are really glad that you are and if you want to find out more about the ministry that god is doing over at derida d-e-r-i-t-a presbyterian church in charlotte north carolina you should google them and pop over to their website and you should listen to yolando's sermons on their podbean webs uh website uh search for the derida church podcast and you'll find a treasure trove of bingeable content and you can watch the derida church worship videos on their youtube channel 
And if you want to find out more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of interesting things. Um, and you can worship with us on um, the live stream on Facebook at 10 a.m. Or you can catch sermons later on our iTunes podcast, um, the Grove Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.